had this verse running through my mind. I think Paul went after it partly in uh, prayer tonight. David said, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I looked to him and I was radiant and I'll never be ashamed. Isaiah 54 says um, something awesome. Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. Oppression will be far from you, for you will not fear. Everybody stand for just a moment. Like you're going you're to be sitting for about three hours. If you're struggling with any kind of fear, like, you know, uh, fear has different brands. There's different brands of fear, you know, like insecurity. How many know insecurity means you have security in the wrong place? You know, we have all these different ways, different ways we say, I'm not afraid, I'm insecure. Well, that's actually fear, isn't it? It's a different kind of fear. If you have any kind of fear going on in your life, I've never experienced that, but I heard some of you all have. <laughs> if you have that going on in your life, would you just raise your hand right now? We're just going to pray. I don't know who we're going to have pray for you, I guess. <laughs> guess I'm going to pray for you all right here, all you all. I want to pray for all y'all. You have fear, any kind of fear going on in your life? Raise your hand. Leave it up. Leave it up. So, Holy Spirit, we just release right now. We're just singing a song of deliverance about the lion. And I just pray that the lion would roar over us right now. And it would deliver us from all of our fears. I just pray that right now that, the, that what David said, and David dealt with a lot of fear in his life. I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I looked at him, I was radiant, and I will never be ashamed. Lord, I just release that, let that be our testimony. That we sought you tonight, and you delivered us, not from some of our fears, not from one of our fears, from all of our fears. And we just say amen to that right now. We say so be it in our lives. In Jesus' name. You can head and be seated. <laughs> Lots of good word right there already. How many of you are leftovers? You're leftover from the conference. Would you raise your hand? Awesome. Glad you're here. Did you guys have a good time? I thought it was one of the best conferences. It, you know, I, I know that everybody experiences things differently, so I'm aware that you know. Sometimes I was in a um, I was in a conference, doing a conference with some folks, and the uh, the person who was preaching, I did, I actually didn't get it all. She was a mystic, and she was preaching, and I turned to Kathy and I said, "I do you have any idea how that thought connects to that one?" She said, "No," and the girl next to me said, "This is the best message I've ever heard." <laughs> So I am aware that we experience things differently. Sometimes our expectation and sometimes we, the need that we, that we have gets totally met. But for, for me, I, you know, I, I'm in a lot of conferences and I'm in a lot of services every week. And uh, it's kind of, they pay us to come here. <laughs> it's the only reason I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. But um, I, I felt like this was one of the, the highlights of my, actually probably one of the highlights of my life. Um, I, I really felt like it may have just been for me, but I was getting ministered to by every speaker, every session, the worship, everything. I felt God encounters. And did, any, did anyone else have similar a similar experience? Yeah, I, I really felt it was awesome, and, and uh, especially when I was preaching, I felt that was the best. <laughs> the other guys were all right too, though. 
Sean needs to work on his word of knowledge. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, I don't know. So how many of you were not here? You didn't, you were, yeah, you disobeyed God. All right. So, uh, uh, I mean, Sean was calling people out by their, does anybody here have this birth date? Uh, no, does this date mean anything to anybody? Uh, and your name is John, uh, and first and last name. And someone stands right up. And does this name mean anything to you? That's my wife. Does this mean anything? That's my two kids. Um, does this date mean anything to you? This is, that's our anniversary. Uh, I'm not kidding. It was like that. Like, uh, you know, I've heard people say that, and I've been in the room, and I'm like, that was a little exaggeration. I was not. I'm under-exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating at all. Whatever you call that. But uh, it was profound like that. He did that in three sessions, called people out like that. And I mean, the uh, words of knowledge were awesome. It kind of says, hey, God knows me. He knows my, my address, you know, where I live and all, all kinds. But, you know, after, the, after that, I mean, people stood up. And, of course, of course that's always encouraging because it really does say, hey, God knows me. He, he knew where I was. And, and, uh, but, but then he was giving some profound uh, prophetic words over people about their destiny and it was it was moving and then uh Leif taught and have you how many of you have never heard Leif speak before seriously I, I'm not a big advertisement guy but I would if you get I don't know if it's available on Bethel TV I'm sure it will be it, his session his his two sessions that he taught in they were over the top they were amazing and I hear 300 messages a year at least and it was over the top amazing and I actually heard both of those messages before and I was sitting there like I, I, I know he's going to say next but there was some kind well you know it's, I guess it's what we a grace anointing I don't know you know we mix up those words like we act like we know what we're talking about whatever that was that was coming from his words was amazing I was getting you know when you've heard a message before and you're getting rocked you're like it isn't just the message because I know I heard the message, but it it rocked, and and Jill up here got rocked, didn't you, Jill? <laughs> Called Jill out. It was amazing, and I've known her forever. And some of the people he he called out, um, you know, we knew. So maybe I don't know a third of them we probably knew, and and uh, he's calling them out, and we're like oh, everybody in the room's like, oh, we know that's awesome. Oh, that's so amazing for that person. And what was this? Anyway, it was one of those times, a really special time, and and. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, it was good. Life-changing, absolutely life-changing. And then uh, we had our own prophetic teams come up, and I thought they did such a good job. I was so proud of them, and they were so, they were just buzzing, like, oh, new anointings come on us, and I'm like, awesome. So it, it, all the fun was had by all, and, and uh, the worship was over the top. Every session, like, how can you do that every session? Like, Jesus, I guess. I just answered my own question like there just came right to me Holy Spirit like Jesus thank you anyway why don't you just grab a hand right there while you're sitting and we're just going to pray tonight I especially want to pray tonight I had a dream of me preaching I was just telling Kathy that wasn't so positive and and I just really I you know I just leaned over to Kathy and said I feel like there's like something's trying to resist I don't I don't even know what I'm going to say is profound or anything but 
I guess I feel complimented that I have something to resist, you know. I, I, I've repeated this saying probably 20 times since I heard Bill say it. He said, if you, if you don't encounter a demon once in a while on your, on, on your path, it might be that you're going the same way. I thought that was simple but profound, you know. How does he come up with those things, man? So, Lord, we just bless the hearts of your people. The people in the room, the people watching, the people that will watch this later on. We just bless those hearts and we, we pray that it would speak right to the heart. It would be like in the days of Jesus when it says, and they were, they were pierced to the heart. We pray for that, God. We pray for you to do what only you can do, that words can't do. We pray that you'd meet needs, that you would deliver people's um, uh, minds and spirits, and that there would be freedom in the room, and there would be a new sense of destiny and purpose. Inspire people, Lord. Redirect them. E- even correct them if there's necessary. We just, we, we just sang that you can, do, you can have it all. We, we, just do, we, do, we pray that tonight. That just wreck our bad thinking and bad paradigms and fortresses that have been raised up in our minds and they need to be tore down. We just pray for that. And build new things in us that are powerful and that, hold, that, that, can, contain, um, that can contain the word of God. Amen. I, I want to uh, talk about focus, passion equals divine success. And uh, a, a first part of this message, I've, I've shared pieces of this before, but I, I've, um, it, let, me, let me just kind of give you like a little bit of background of where I'm coming from. I, I really believe in the unity of the Spirit. How many of you know if Ephesians uh, chapter 4, Paul says, preserve, he says preserve, the unity of the Spirit. First of all, let me just say this. He doesn't say preserve the unity of doctrine. He doesn't say create the unity of the Spirit. He says preserve it. And, 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 and sometimes I think we make things a lot more complicated than they really are. I, I, think, I think it tends to make us feel more kind of smart when we you know, have this heavy revelation about things that are like really simple. But you know, think about this. I don't, I don't totally understand the spirit world. You know, if, if I'm in this room, I can't be in that one. This is deep. Hope you got that. But Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, who were polytheists, you know what polytheists are? It means they believed in multiple gods. And he's talking to them about the gifts of the Spirit. He says eight times in about a paragraph and a half, there's one Spirit, one Lord, one God. There's, and then he says, there's the gift of wisdom, but the same Spirit. The gift of the word of knowledge, but the same spirit. The word of, you know, and he goes on like that. Eight times he mentions one or same. And he's speaking to people, he's speaking to these people who came out of Greek mythology, and they thought that every different gift was a different spirit. And he's saying, no, listen, there's only one God, one Lord, one spirit. And, and the dynamic, if you think about it, is a little bit complex, so it's kind of... It's easier in some ways to, to in, in, in this kind of finite world we live in, to think, okay, if you have the gift of wisdom, that would be a spirit, a gift of wisdom on you. And if I have the word of knowledge, that would be coming from a different spirit because 
how would one spirit be in you and me at the same time? Like, that seems kind of complex. And, and so, I, I, I want to say that I, I don't completely, uh, like, you can experience things that you can't understand. How many of you understand your car really well? Okay, a few people in the room. I, I would say that I have a pretty good understanding. I worked in the automotive field. But how many of you drive a car? Yeah, so you're experiencing things you don't understand. You put the key in the ignition, you'll turn the key, and you pay other people to fix things you don't understand. And what I'm getting at is, is, is that not to say, people say, oh, I can't, you know, if I don't, if, you know, if I don't understand it, I, I don't believe it. I'm like, no, no, you drive things you don't understand and you believe in. You know, I, I, I don't know how lots of things work. I have no idea how my computer works. I just use it, kind of. The tech people don't think I use it properly. I have an anti-tech anointing. But my point is, is that we can experience things that we don't understand. I can't tell you how it works, but I can tell you it works. And I don't know how this works exactly, but the Holy Spirit is this. There's only one Holy Spirit, as you know, and he's God, right? And he lives in you, and the same exact Holy Spirit lives in me. So this doesn't seem very complicated when he says preserve the unity of the Spirit because if the same Holy Spirit's in you, I mean, like, not the same name, like, it's one Holy Spirit, like, I don't know how he works, like, spirit world works, but, like, we're all, all us all (laughs) are filled with one Holy Spirit who is actually one person. Like, the Holy Spirit is a person, not persons. He's one person. So it doesn't seem very hard for us to be unified when one person is in both of us, all of us. <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of makes it easy like when you go along to get along. Anyway, that's what I think. And I, I'm actually right about that, even though I can't, don't understand why. So I think that there's... I, there's, um, I, I want to say a false unity... That when I say false, I'm not talking like false prophets or false teachers or anything like that. I think that there's a, there's a kind of a counterfeit unity that we try to create. And when we say unity, we often mean get along. Like get along. Like, like the Lord loves unity, get along. And, and, and by the way, I think there's some truth to that. Like I do think that we should get along. And I think there's a lot of verses about getting along. But, but we have to... Whenever Jesus teaches something, we have to look at his life to see what he meant. Does that make sense? For instance, when, God, when Jesus said that he's love, and, and I go, okay, love. So, and he talks about love, and, and he t- teaches us all about love, and, and it says that, that God isn't, doesn't just love, he is love. So I think, and Jesus is the personification of, of God, would you agree? He's the Son of God. He is the person of God. So Jesus never did anything outside of love. He, like he couldn't leave love because he doesn't love, he is love. Are you with me? So when I hear teachings about love, in fact, let me just go back and say this, it'll be easier. Bill, Bill said it best. I guess we're going to talk about what Bill says all night because Bill isn't here tonight. Bill said, Jesus is perfect theology. So the word became flesh. So the the Bible became flesh and dwelled among us. And and Bill said, and I love this, he said, if you can't find it in the life of Jesus, then you have reason to question it. 
So here's my point. When God says he's love, then I have to, and, and Jesus is God, then I look at the way Jesus behaved, and I go, when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, he didn't leave love to do that. So love has many faces. Are you with me? And so when people are like, well, you know, I just didn't feel loved. I'm like, okay, well, because you didn't feel loved doesn't mean you weren't loved. I don't know if my, if my kids felt loved when they got a spanking. But actually, Proverbs says that if you love your child, then you, then you will discipline them. And so, there, it, it's, I don't, so when, I, when, I look at, when I look at love as, as a, for instance, I, I have to define love by, by watching the life of Jesus, not just the words of Jesus, but the life of Jesus, and say, Jesus said love, and I go, well, it looks like this to me, and Jesus goes, well, look at my life, and you'll see what I meant by it, because I actually walked it out. I actually was the word lived out. Are you with me? So, um, so when I think that there's a unity. Oh, and here's where I was going with that. This final part. Jesus loved, and he would it have it, he would have embodied the unity of the spirit. And so when I see Jesus working with his disciples, they the disciples never got along, even when Jesus was with them. So when we go like, we really need to be unified so God can move. I'm like, they didn't get along and God moved. They didn't get along in the way that I translate getting along. I don't know if we're gonna, this is going to work because I feel the tension in the room. All right. I'm saying when Jesus says get along and then I watch how, he, how the disciples got along, they argued about who's the greatest, you know, they rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebuked them, Jesus called Peter Satan, and I'm like, you know, this is how they got along. Uh, it's a whole lot like my grandparents. It's like, you know, it's like they bantered, they, they struggled, they, did it, they, they compared themselves to one another, and, and they were with Jesus. I mean, they were walking with Jesus, and you're like, okay, but they weren't born again. I'm like, okay, look at the book of Acts. It got worse, not better. And I'm, I'm saying amongst themselves, I mean, you know, Paul and Peter didn't seem to actually like each other very much. Um, you know, Paul rebukes Peter for, you know, not, not embracing the Jews when the Gentiles are around, and, or not embracing the Gentiles when the Jews are around, and all this stuff. It's like, the problems didn't go away. And, and so what I'm getting at is this. I think that there's a kind of unity that isn't real. It's like Photoshopped Christianity. It's not real. And, and I think that, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, I have, I have no arguments hardly ever with an acquaintance who I want to really like. Probably the, the, the deepest struggles I've had have been with my wife when she's wrong. <laughs> Twice in our marriage. It was hurtful. Took me three hours to get over it. No, I sincerely, our biggest struggles are with the people that we walk with and we, that we love. We have expectations of them, and it's like the deeper I love, the, the more vulnerable I am to hurt. Does that make sense? I mean, really, the transient outside of shooting me, he can't hurt my heart. And he could say bad things to me, 
And it wouldn't hurt my heart. People are like, are you, do, you know, people say terrible things about us on Facebook. And people are like, does that bother you? I'm like, if that bothered me, I wouldn't even be able to get out of bed. I, I could give a rip about the person, what the person thinks who doesn't know me. Now, if Bill wrote something terrible on my Facebook page, I guarantee he wouldn't be sleeping. Why? Because he has access to the inner core of my heart. My point is this, really, and it's really back to unity. I, I believe in unity, and I, and I believe that we should get along. I do, and I believe that God gives us tools to get along, but I'm not sure it looks exactly like we think it does. And I think that unity has confrontation in it, and I think it has bantering in it, and I think it has truth-telling in it, and all of that can be painful. It's still unity. And, and sometimes I think, uh, and so there's this, so here's where I'm going. I hear a lot about, you know, I, I, in fact, the other day I was in a meeting with some leaders. I say the other day. Other day to me means up to three years ago. <laughs> I intentionally want to disgu- dis- disguise when so you don't know who. I was with some leaders I really, I really appreciated a lot. It was another place. It wasn't here. And, um, and, and this guy was preaching about that, you know, what the church needs to do is get together and we need to be unified about the political realm and, you know, all these things. And if we could actually, you know, and, and I'm listening to him and I, I, I know I'm thinking like, that's a good idea. But people change the world. One person changes the world. And, and God's not president of presidents. He's king of kings. And so, so the, this whole idea, like, you know, if all the churches in Reading could get together, kumbaya, Lord, kumbaya, what we'd actually have is vanilla. We'd actually have, I mean, it's great when we get together like we do in the Civic and, and, and bless one another and sing and stuff. But I mean, when it comes to like trying to get something done with a whole bunch of people like, well, you know, it, 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 typically you, it's reduced down to the least thing that no one's offended over, which typically is nothing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Jeremiah 5, 1, said, God says to Jeremiah, Roam to and fro throughout the streets in Jerusalem. Take a look now and take note. And seek in her open squares and find a man. If there's one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. And God's not looking for a crowd. He's just looking for a person. He's like, find me somebody who, will actually, who actually walks in integrity, speaks truth, lives in justice. And I, if I see one person... I will move on their behalf, and, I will, and it will change a nation. I will change a whole nation because I found somebody who believes in me and has integrity. That, that's, this is the kingdom. This is a, the kingdom of America. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that we have citizenship for. We just got green cards for this, this world. There's um, a book called The Tipping Point. How many of you have read that, bo- that book? It's been years since I read it. It's a great book. It's not a Christian book. I, I don't know if the guy's a Christian. I mean, he's not, ri- he's not writing it to a Christian crowd. So um, if you need scriptures, then you're going to be struggling. <laughs> on, on my Facebook page, people write all the time, can you give me a scripture for that? No, it's not in the Bible. I was making a joke.
Well, in this book, the book opens with this, um, with actually the murder of a, um, a lady named uh, Kitty, and I'm sorry, I can't pronounce her last name, Gerson or something like that. She was murdered in Queens, New York in 1964. Now, obviously, you know, that's not a surprise. I mean, that happens every day in New York. But what made this um, unusual is that it was in broad daylight, and, um, and 38 neighbors watched as she was brutally murdered over a half an hour and no one intervened. And so the one that they, called, they began to call it the crowd syndrome. And they, a bunch of people got together later on, uh, a, a New York uh, psychologist and, uh, and a couple of universities got together and they began to do some experiments. And the first experiment they did was, um, was with the, they put a bunch of students in a room. Let me just read it to you. They had students alone in a room and they staged an ep- epileptic fit with a person. And when there was one person next door listening, that person rushed to the student's aid, aid 85% of the time. But when the subjects thought that there were four others also overhearing the seizure, they came to the aid 31% of the time. They did another experiment where they put people, uh, people saw smoke seeping out from under a doorway. They would report it 75% of the time when they, were, when they thought that they were alone. But if the incident was, uh, if the incident, the incident was only reported 38% of the time if they were in a group. Uh, here's what they're saying in, in perfect English. Crowds don't change history because everybody thinks everyone else is doing something. And they, when they interviewed the neighbors, they, this was years later, they went and tried to interview all those neighbors, if you remember the book. They found lots of them. And they asked them, like, why didn't you call 911? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you do something? And they all said this. We all, we, we, I thought someone else had already called. And the truth is, no one did anything. So we're all, we're all waiting for the crowd, and God's waiting for a person. Like, crowds don't change history. Are you with me? And God says, find somebody, find me somebody who has righteousness and justice, and I will strongly support them. There's a great story. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you part of the story, and I'm sure that you probably heard this story before. It's the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Bill actually taught on this some years ago, two or three years ago. And it's the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer, and the, the Israelites are fighting their arch enemies, the Philistines, which they tend to fight all through the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. And they get to this place where the Israelites are stuck, like they're all afraid, and they're kind of like the days of David. They're just stuck and they've been in this holding pattern for days and days and days because they're afraid, because the Philistine army outnumbers the Israeli army in this battle. And so for days, they kind of like, you know, they're just, they're just immobile. They're just like, what should we do? And we're all going to die. And they can't get anybody to do anything. And, king, and Saul, the king of Israel at the time, is he's afraid himself. And one morning, Jonathan gets up early. And he says these famous words to his armor bearer. Can the Lord save by many, but not by few? And his armor bearer is the coolest guy in the world. He's not even named. You know, this is a prince. Jonathan is Saul's son, so he's, he's the prince of Israel. The armor bearer is not even named in the story. And the armor bearer says, do whatever's in your heart. Which is cool because Jonathan has the word that the armor bearer has to respond to, and he doesn't even have the word. He just trusts Jonathan. So Jonathan says, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, 
We're going to go out to the Philistine army who's up on this mountain, and we're down in this valley, and we're going to call out to them. And if they say, wait for us, we'll be da- we're coming down, we're getting out of here. But if they say, come up to us, we know the Lord has given them into our hands. So, now, you can imagine, there's a whole army. Israeli, the Israelis are fear-struck and cannot, they cannot mobilize their army because of the greatness of the Philistine army. And Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, can the Lord save by many, but not by few? Then he has the stupidest plan. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, like they always have these stupid plans? Like, there's ridiculous plans. Uh, Gideon, mighty warrior. Yes, you're going to go, you know, take care of these people. You're going to win the battle. Okay, you got too many people. You know, have you noticed this? Like, gets them down to 300. And, and then God goes, okay, get jars and candles. I'm like, this is a stupid plan, you know? I mean, the 300 was bad, but it's getting worse. And what I want you to do is blow trumpets and break the jars with the candles in them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we, my, this little light of mine. <laughs> At least they'll be able to see us before they shoot us. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, you know, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. We're going to call out from down here, and we're going to say, hey, you guys. And if they say, hey, come up here. We have something to say to you. He goes, the Lord has given them into our hands. Okay, so this is exactly what happens. So they call out. They're in the valley. Hey, you guys. What are you doing? Come up here, we have something to say to you. Jonathan turns his arm breaks. We got him. This is, I'm not making this up. You can read it for yourself. I'm just doing it for the sake of time. And Jonathan says, we got him. Now, just so you know, the Bible describes that they are clawing their way up the side of a mountain. I mean, all the enemy has to do is like, whoop. And they're calling up the upside of the mountain. You come out and Jonathan's like, when we get up there, you take them low, I'll take them high. They get to the top of the mountain, and the Bible doesn't actually say exactly what happens, except for they kill 20 of their key guys, and the whole army of uh, whole Philistine army starts running from two guys. <laughs> I saw this cartoon once. And it, it had this, this uh, there, was, there was two guys and they were surrounded by this great army in this cartoon. And the one guy leans to the other guy and goes, we got them, they're overconfident. <laughs> you didn't hear that word. And so they, they, they climb up the mountain and they, and they immediately, like two guys, kill 20 guys. And the Philistine army takes off running. And, and, it, and it describes that they were in confusion. Like, they were confused. Like, of course you're confused. You've got to be confused. You're running from two guys. And in the meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Israelite right, army wakes up. Like, it's morning. And they go, so, and Saul goes, somebody's missing. I don't know who it is. 
I want you to count, you know, count each troop and tell me who's missing. So they count the troop and they go, oh, there's two guys missing. And it's in that troop. And it's your son, Jonathan, and his armor bearer. So they're like, okay. So they go out to the valley and climb up the mountain. And they see Jonathan, his armor bearer, chasing this army. (laughs) Who they've been terrified of. Immobile, not willing to do anything. And they go, we better help. Now, in the meantime, (laughs) while all that's going on, there's Israelites that have been hiding in caves. And they look out over the valley, and they see Jonathan and the armor bearer chasing these people, and they come out of the caves and they go, we better help too. Now, that's really good, but here's the best part. Then there's a whole bunch of people who thought they were going to lose, so they became traitors, and they joined the Philistine army. And when the Philistine army started running, they think, we better help the Israelites, because <laughs> we're Israelites. And it says, and they defected, and they joined the, Philist- the, the Israelites also. And it says, and there was a great slaughter that day, and Israel wins this great battle. Is that a cool story or what? But here, here's the challenge. They didn't have the unity of the spirit until somebody did something. <laughs> uh, that's where I'm going. My whole message is going to say it some other different ways. They didn't, nobody, you know, it's like, let's get the army together and develop a strategy. You, listen, they did that. And what it ended up in is stagnation. They did nothing for 40 days. This same thing happened in 1 Samuel 17. You'll remember it. It's a, it's a few months later. They encountered the Philistine army in, in, uh, in, uh, in this valley in Ephes Damon, in this valley called Ephes Damon, and they're there for 39 days. On the, thir- on the 40th day, David is sent to bring sandwiches to his brothers. you remember that? And these guys are taunting, this guy is taunting, Goliath is taunting the armies of God for 39 days. And David shows up. And David goes, is there any reason why this is you guys are letting this happen? And his big brother, Elib, says to him, go home, David, you stupid little kid. Well, go mind your sheep. And David's like, hey, I don't understand why we're letting that happen. Can somebody tell me why we're letting that happen? David, go home. Hey, I'm just asking questions here. Can someone tell me why we are letting that happen? I do believe I can whip that guy. Like I whipped the lion, I whipped the bear. And what I'm getting at is this. I think unity tends to happen when you start being successful. People want to attach themselves to success but as long as you're a freaky kid who thinks you can kill a lion and a bear, people are like, you ain't my brother. <laughs> as long as you're like, you, you, you know, it's like there's something about like, Jonathan doesn't wake the, the, Philist, I mean, the Israelites up and say, hey, I got this idea. I think I can go out and whip these guys with my armor bearer. He doesn't wake those people up because he knows that he's going to encounter a whole bunch of doubt. They've been pouring water on his fire for 40 days. Thank you. <laughs> Jonathan's, encourage, Jonathan's courage inspired those who were hiding because they were afraid. 
When we obtain supernatural success, we come into alignment with our anointed assignment. And I want to say this. I think sometimes we have to narrow our focus to actually get success. We have to just like, you know, know, part of the problem with some of you people, you're just too good at everything. You're you're just too good, like you have too many choices. I don't don't know if you know this in marketing, but I, I, you know, we had a retail store for years. We had three retail stores, auto parts stores, and we had, you know, uh, we had chemicals and all those kind of things that you sell. And and there's this, um, we went to this marketing strategy meeting one time, spent a a day in in a kind of a teaching series for marketing. And we're talking about um, actually... Uh, displays, They're teaching us how to, to display our merchandise. And this is what they said. If you have three different kinds of um, penetrating oil, like WD-40, you'll sell like whatever. They had a percentage. If you have 20 brands, you think you're going to sell more, it actually is cut to one-third of the sales. When you give people more choices, they see so many choices, they do nothing. Costco's figured that out. Like they have two brands of everything, and you buy one thing, you like you you, and you have three lifetimes worth of it. <laughs> you bought it for a third of what you'd pay somewhere else, but you had to buy like three lifetimes. You know, it's like oh, you went to Costco, you got forty-eight things of toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, I got them for fifty percent off. Sometimes we have to narrow our focus to fulfill our call, and sometimes the challenge in our life is we're just good at too many things. It's like, I don't know if I should do this, or what I should do that, or I should do this. It's like, you know, I'm good at baseball, football, basketball, you know, track, I'm good at everything. It's like, I'll just go out for everything. Yeah, you'll probably be good at nothing. I'm not saying that's the greatest example, but it's like, pick one thing or two and do it with all your might. And find somebody that agrees with you. <laughs> In Matthew eighteen nineteen, Jesus said this, If two or three of you agree on earth, <laughs> on the whole earth, <laughs> you're going to find two people on the whole earth. <laughs> Jesus knows. You find two, peop- two or three agree on earth about anything. He didn't say in the church. He said, on earth. <laughs> I'll stink in earth. If you can find three people on the earth who agree with you, ask, and it shall be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. Jesus like, that'll limit what they get done. <laughs> and we're trying to find whole thousand people churches to get together and agree. And Jesus like, yeah, that's a good plan. Why don't you try it? see if you can find three people in your friend circle? <laughs> Who will agree with you? There is something about the power of agreement, but there is something also powerful about the power of division. 
A kingdom divided against itself won't stand. And when you're trying to move in God, you don't need 500 people. You just need someone. This is my proposal. I proposed that Jonathan didn't wake up the army, joking aside, because he knew there was no way that they they would agree with his plan. So he gets one guy who kind of works for him and says, hey, I got this idea. And the guy says this, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. I'd like to suggest that we're trying, we're trying to take this unity of the spirit idea to a place that is not even in the Bible. And I'm like, once you get the Philistines running, people will join you. We, you know, Bethel is growing in favor. We still have haters, thankfully. We always want haters. Because Jesus said, if you're doing righteousness, righteous stuff that some people will hate you so you know we don't want everyone to like us uh, we don't want to try to get them to hate us but that doesn't seem to be a problem <laughs> we don't seem to have much problem with uh, that part you know i could tell you like when we started at bethel and i wasn't here well when bill came 19 years ago i mean half the church left i mean that was the people who were already with us left and, you know, it was, it was, you know, I don't, I don't, I think Bill felt differently, but I, I came and people started coming. <laughs> Every time he tells that story, I say, they stopped leaving when I got here. It's like, whatever. No, it was painful. I, I got here the month they went from two services to one service. And it was, you know, it was sparse. And, um, you know, and Bill was like, I don't know about Bill, you know. He's got, he's got this relationship with Jesus. Like, if you don't stay really close to Bill, you'll think he's crazy. Because he's like, God, oh, it's awesome in here. You know, God's moving. I'm like, people moved. <laughs> people moved like our people moved. And anyone who, who was here through that, no, it's like, we were not very liked. We were not liked in our city. We were not liked by the other churches. We were not liked by pretty much anybody, except for the other people who were doing this too. <laughs> you know, ugly loves ugly, and you know, <laughs> and misery loves company, you know, so we're all, I mean, I actually don't blame people for not liking us, you know. I was here and I didn't like us, you know. Here's my friend John. Yeah, he's a banker. I don't know how long he's going to have that job, but he was a banker as of today. There's something about... Success that causes, like I say, success covers a multitude of sins. When people, when you start getting things on the run, it's amazing how people will believe in you. 
They're like, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. Well, where the heck were you <laughs> when we needed you? Oh, people come up all the time, you know, you're amazing. Yeah, well, I don't know where you were 19 years ago, but not very many people were calling me amazing. They were calling me things that didn't start with an A, but it wasn't amazing. <laughs> Kathy's up front like, don't tell at all. They're streaming. I met with a a guy that's um, the head of a a particular city some time ago. Remember? That's all the way back to how long? Three years. And uh, the Lord gave me this prophetic word for this this man. So I, I had never met him before and... Uh, very, very intelligent man, and, and so um, this threw some circumstances that I, I, I really want to hide his identity, and I'm going to change some of the facts so you we won't know who it is. But but the story is absolutely true. So um, so uh, w- we never met each other before, and he he doesn't know anything about prophetic, much less prophets. And his close one of his relatives said, "Well, you need to meet this prophet. He's got a word for you." He's like, prophets? There's prophets. Okay. Because he reads his Bible, but he's never had any charismatic experience. So he's like, prophets? They're still alive today? And his, his, his uh, acquaintance, his, one of his relatives said, yeah, this guy would like to talk to you. So I sit down with him, and over, over a period of two hours, he lays out this whole plan that he has for his city. And it's actually a really great plan. He's super smart, strategic thinker, built businesses. And um, so when he gets all done laying out this plan, actually he probably laid out the plan for about an hour. We were together for a couple, but he laid out this plan for about an hour. I'm just sitting there thinking. So when I get when he, about what he's saying, and when he gets all done and he says, um, so you, you will profit or something, right? Kind of nervously. I said, well, yeah, I guess. He said, well, would that mean like you have something to say to me that God told you? I mean, he's just like being, do you have something to say to me that God told you? I said, yes, I do, sir. He said, what is it? I said, well, first of all, God says your strategy is not from him. And you need to scrap the whole thing. Which he spent a year and a half building with a whole group of people. And, um, and, and, and I said, and God says, this is what you're called to do. And I gave him this whole thing that the Lord gave me about his assignment and what he was anointed to do. And, and he had like these five things he was supposed to do. And one of them had to do with these moral issues. He said, I really have this passion for this moral issue. This is during his presentation. And I, so anyway, when, I, when, I, when he said, what do you have to say? I said, God says none of that's his plan. It's all a good plan, but that's not your assignment. And that thing that you're really passionate about, God says he's going to raise up someone 10 years from now to take care of that moral issue. But if you go after it, you have no power to change it, and it will be a distraction, and it's going to take 50 years to change, and a man's going to start it in 10 years from now, and it won't be you. So it's awesome that you want to stop that, but you, you're, that's not your assignment. And so, I, so I talked to him, I laid out this whole, this whole thing that the Lord had given me, which was a little bit like, you know, the pots. The, you know, it was like, it wasn't a good plan at all. 
It was just God. When I got all done, he looked at me. Now, remember, this guy, he doesn't know what a prophet is or anything. He looked at me and he said, that's the Lord. And tomorrow I will call his 12 friends who he'd built the plan with and tell them they're all canceled, they're all off the team. And we will, we will start this new, this new plan. And I'd love to tell you what it is because it was really, really cool. But if I do that, then, then you may know who it is. So I can't do that. But here's, here's really my point. You have to do what you're assigned to do. Not what you have necessarily a passion for. You are anointed for an assignment. You're not anointed for everything. It's like, we are going to change the world, but you are not going to change the world by yourself. But you have to do what you're anointed to do. And when you do what you're not anointed to do, it's awesome. You may get credit for it in heaven, but you're really not going to change anything. Because God's going to raise someone else up to do that. Are you following me at all? But God is looking for some people who will believe him. You know that verse, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth? Let me just read it to you. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Do you know that verse? Do you know what the context is? The context is King Asa. And Asa has, the, he's king of Judah. And the Israelis, 11 tribes, decide that they don't like King Asa and they're going to take, they're going to come in and destroy Judah and they're going to take, the king's going to take Judah for himself and, and rule all 12 tribes. And Asa, who's known the Lord since he was a boy, instead of calling out to the Lord, the king of Israel has an alignment with this Gentile king and that's where he's getting all his troops and all of his power. So King Asa goes to the king, the, the Gentile king, and says, Hey, why don't you make a deal with me? I'll give you more money than he gives you. And you, you stand with me instead of with him. I'll pay you more. He's like, these guys, Gentiles, are like mercenaries. So the gent, those, that Gentile nation changes sides and agrees with Asa so that Israel can't come in. Okay, now, bottom line is this. Asa saves his nation, his, the nation of Judah. He wins. And the king of Israel tears down all of his, this, this whole fortress he's building where he's going to attack Judah. He tears the fortress down and, and he goes away with his tail between his legs because the mercenaries that he's going to use are now with Asa. It seems like a good plan, right? And God comes to him and sends a prophet to him and says to, to Asa, do you not remember that I parted the sea and the Israelites went through on dry land? Do you remember that? Do you remember? And he begins to recount all the miracles that Asa knows about and the ones that he's done in Asa's life. And he says to Asa, you are not going to have a permanent victory because you called on the hand of man to save you instead of me. And that's the context of, and the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, looking for someone's heart who's wholly his, that he might strongly support him. Asa, I have strongly supported you your whole life. And yet you've turned away, and now you're trusting the hand of man. 
And the context is a correction to Asa because he's turned away from trusting God, who he's trusted since his boyhood, and he's turned to the Gentiles. He got success on the outside, but God says, you are lost on the inside. So you can't conquer what you refuse to confront. And Asa refuses to confront the Israelites because he's outnumbered. And God says, if you would have just called on me, do you remember all the other miracles I did in your life? Do you remember how you were outnumbered? Do you remember how the Israelites were outnumbered? Do you remember the Red Sea? Do you remember the, the river, the Jordan River? Do you remember all that? They were all outnumbered. And yet, I came through. And you saw me come through in your life. And you chose to do what the Israeli king did and call on the Gentiles to help them instead of calling me. You refused to confront and therefore you didn't conquer. See, Asa created peace through compromise. And it, came as, and it became a symptomatic cure because the next generation paid for it. But God's looking for people that he can strongly support. I, I don't know what you're going through, but God's looking for you to totally trust him. Well, the plan God gave me, I know. It's not always the best plan, but when he's involved, it works. <laughs> In Acts 1.14 it says, And all these with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.46 And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, they were breaking bread from house to house, and they're taking their meals together. There, I said this the other day, the word one mind means, in, in, in Greek means, one mind, focused passion. With focused passion they were together. And what was the outcome? Those who turned the world upside down have come here. Why? Because they had focused, get this, they had focused passion. They took, oh, we're good at all these things. Okay, what does God tell you to do? Hey, here's our plan. Look at it. It's on a chart. We have PowerPoint. You know, we got 12 guys that created this strategy. Awesome. What did God say? Oh, I don't know. We didn't ask him. Hey, God plans work better than good plans. Sometimes good plans have outward success and inward failures. What would happen if you could just get a few people together, like two on the whole earth? What would happen if you just got two people on the whole earth to agree with you? Hey, you know, I believe that God said, hey, I'm with you. Yeah, we could die. I'm with you. Did God told you to do this? Yes. Okay, I'm with you. And what happens? Unity comes as we get success. But very seldom can you get a whole bunch of people together to agree with a plan that doesn't make sense except for in God. <laughs> James puts it this way. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If anybody lacks wisdom, anyone ever lacked wisdom? I did once. And I went to the Gentile nation of Kathy. <laughs> She's not a Gentile. She's a believer. I get her to agree with me. I'm her armor bearer. 
If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously. Right now, he's not talking about money. He's talking about wisdom. He gives generously. He gives wisdom out generously. Proverbs puts it this way. Wisdom shouts in the streets. I don't know what to do. Really? Yeah, I just don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Well, wisdom shouts in the streets. I don't know what God wants me to do. It's so hard. No, no. Wisdom shouting in the streets. Like if you have a heart for God, you can't miss it. What if you get it wrong? He'll make it right. It's amazing. Well, you could get the plan wrong when you have the right heart. And God goes, oh, 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 oh. hurry, get down there and fix that. I actually believe if you think that you have a God plan, and I understand there's got to be some boundaries here, so I don't know what they are, so I'm not going to preach that. But I don't know what the boundaries are, but I believe that if you think something is God, and I understand that this has a balance, so you know, don't jump off the roof or don't do anything on our property. We, we have insurance. <laughs> I want to be careful. There's crazy people listening. I mean, I say stuff and people like, I, they think of things I would have never thought of. I, I'm going to tone it down because I can see we just have too many crazy people watching us. God looks at the heart. <laughs> he looks at the heart. And if you don't get the plan exactly right, but you're humble and you're teachable, it's amazing how God can intervene and make the wrong plan turn out right. I did that good. I love this verse in Samuel. It says, And God was with Samuel, the prophet, and let none of his, small h, words fall to the ground. And God was with Samuel, and let none of his words fall to the ground. I don't mean prophesy whatever you want. I just mean Samuel loved God. God loved Samuel. And I think there's just times when like Samuel may... This is my... Listen, the Bible doesn't say this. This is my recollection. This is how I see it. It's, maybe there was times where Samuel didn't get it quite right. And God's like, uh, just take care of that. He's my friend. If you have the right heart, it's amazing what you can do and get away with it. And God will oh, oh, fix that. And you know, you're all laughing, but I bet you've got it wrong more than you think. And God blessed it anyway, and it wasn't because you, wanted, you had your own selfish plan, like, I'm not going to listen to God. It was because you thought you were doing the right thing. And I can tell you right now, when I was a young believer, and even probably now, when I was a young believer, I did all kinds of stupid things that went well. Like, when you were first saved, you do stupid things. I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness. And God blessed every one of them. And I was going to teach those things in school, and God's like, no, 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 no. I blessed them because you were dumb. <laughs> Not because you were right. Like, God, don't repeat that. You didn't do it right. I just blessed it. How many of you had the same experience as a young believer? I know. Some of you are like, oh, be careful. I understand. But listen to this. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without reproach. And he doesn't get mad about it. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect 
that he would receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. I don't have wisdom. Did you ask? Because it's shouting. Yes, I'm asking. Okay, are you thinking, well, I'll try some of God, and I'll try some of this. Then you're double-minded. Now you can't expect to get wisdom, not because it isn't shouting, but because you're deaf. What happens when I am single-focused? I focus my passion on God, and I go, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to die. And God may say, let's say we're six. God can say, go to the doctor. It's those who are sick that need a physician. I'm like, oh, you even got a verse for it. It says he blesses physicians. He, at Paul's book, you know, that, that doctors are not a second-class healing. Medicine is not a second-class healing. God's not opposed to medicine. He's the one who said, if the sick need a physician. How many of you know the... Uh, the, the story of the Samaritan was not about a miracle. It was about passion for the broken. And he didn't pray for the guy and, and get a miracle. He put him in the inn and the guy took care of him till he got well. So, so how many understand? It's like, it's not like you, you have a preconceived idea. Well, if I ask God, he's going to tell me this. No, you don't know what he's going to tell you until he shouts from the streets. But if you don't trust him, when are you going to be double-minded? How many have been double-minded? I have. Uh, and you know what happens when you get double-minded? Everybody raised their hand. And the ones who didn't, you were deceived and double-minded. <laughs> you know what happens when you're double-minded? So do I. You get stuck. You don't know what to do. And that's, 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 that's somewhere like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've been praying for months. It's not that hard. He's shouting from the streets. What's the problem if I can't figure it out? I'm double-minded, and I can't expect to get anything from it. What do I have to do? Listen, I, listen, of course I need wisdom, but I get it by agreeing with God. And I'll find someone on the earth to agree with me. Somebody. Like, there's 7.2 million billion people on the earth. It's, you, you can find somebody to agree with you now. You could even find someone to marry now. You single guys, I wanted to get that in there. Well, I can't find a woman. There's 7.2 billion people on the earth. Almost 4 billion of more women find a woman. <laughs> I can't find anybody. She's shouting in the streets for crying out loud. And by the way, that's scriptural because wisdom is a woman in Proverbs. See how I did that? I, I, I want to just finish with one last point and I'll, and I'll be done. Have you ever bought... I had a shirt on today. Did you see the shirt I had on today? Not this one. It's a really expensive shirt. It's not a shirt I normally would buy. I wouldn't pay that much money for a shirt. But I went in this store in an airport and because they were hanging out and it was like the most beautiful shirt I've ever seen. I know, you don't have to agree. I understand that. Everybody's got different tastes, but I'm like, and Kathy didn't think it was that nice, but I'm like, that is a beautiful shirt. It was on this mannequin. It was awesome. They didn't have my size. It was a lot of money. They didn't have my size, which Kathy's like, oh, good, they didn't have a size. I went another place about 
Three months later, they had the same shirt in another place. Didn't have my size. I thought about getting a smaller size, but it was really tight. I'm like, does that look good? Maybe when you're 18, but not right now. <laughs> so one day I'm on the internet, I'm just kind of hanging out, and I'm thinking, I would really like to have that shirt. I said to Kathy, I really like, she said, hey, if you want to buy that shirt, just buy it, you know? You, you travel all over. If you want that shirt, you know, just buy it. Really? You don't care if I spend that much? No, no. You really like that shirt. You've been bugging me. She's like, just buy it. So I bought it. It's really beautiful. It doesn't look like it did on the mannequin. <laughs> to be totally honest, I wear that shirt because I made such a big deal about buying it. That I think it's beautiful, but it doesn't actually look good on me. But I'm going to wear that shirt until I get as many money out of it. But have you ever bought something for, uh, that looked beautiful on the mannequin? And you get it home and it, it don't look good on you? How many have ever done that before? Have you ever like put it on... And I, this, is, this happens to me. I have a whole bunch, especially shirts. Like, I probably have, I don't even want to tell you how many. Like, I go in a men's store, and, I, and I, I look at it on the mannequin. I'm like, that's awesome. And I put it on, and some reason, I still have the mannequin picture in my mind when I'm looking in the mirror. This is a true story. I get it home. I wear it the first time. I look in my mirror, and it's like, uh, there's something wrong with my mirror. I think I can tell you. And this is what I do. If I find a shirt I like, I buy it in every color. So if you look at my clothes, I, right, do I? If they have it in eight colors, I buy it in eight colors. Normally. So I got eight of them. I'll put it on. I'm like, makes me look heavy. But I wear them because I, I thought like, I looked like the mannequin. And after about three months, that vision leaves. And I'll see my shirt for what it really looks like on me. I'm like, that looks like crap. I gave 50 shirts away a month ago. And I gave about 75 away six months before that. These are all shirts that looked awesome on the mannequin. They just didn't fit my shape very well. You know, in Asia, and I'm almost done, we went to Asia, we went to Taiwan, and we went to this really fancy mall, and we were, we were eating in, in a nice restaurant, and it happened to be in a mall. So we're in the mall, and I'm walking through the mall, and there's all these, uh, you know, there's different stores, but there's all these women's stores with, uh, you know, um, windows, what do you call them? Showroom windows, right? And, the, and there's mannequins in all the windows. You know that every single mannequin in that huge, huge and I know that this is true because I got lost in there trying to find a bathroom, so I walked almost the whole mall. Every single mannequin in every window in every store for a woman was a white woman, not an Asian. Everyone. And I'm like, no, one of these people have an identity crisis. They'll put that stuff on, they think they're going to look like a white woman. They're not going to look like a white woman because they're Asian. And what are they saying to Asian women? White women are beautiful. You can put this on and look like one of them. But when you get it home, it ain't you. And, and here's my point, And here's my final point where I'm landing. You've got to wear your armor. 
You got to wear your stuff. You have an assignment. You come into alignment with your assignment. You put on your mantle. You wear your mantle. And you do what you're supposed to do. And don't worry about Joe looks better in the expensive shirt you wanted. Just do your thing, not your thing. Do God's thing that he's called you to do. And don't worry that it's this little corner of the world. And Johnny's doing that big thing over there. Because you know what? It's just you and your armor bearer. That's awesome. And people are like, you know, they, they talk to us and they're like, well, you guys have a church of 7,000. You guys must be amazing. You mean, you mean how many people come to church on a weekend impresses you? I mean, you know, Justin Bieber has a few extra people on weekends too. And I love Justin, by the way. I'm just saying, drawing crowds, I mean, you know, seriously, like you're impressed by how many people. I, I'm impressed with Jonathan and Armor Bear. I'm impressed by people that don't have much. And they do crazy stuff. You got a church of 50, change the world. What's the problem? Well, if we had your resources, we didn't have our resources. We came from Weaverville. I mean, just say that five times quickly. Weaverville, that's where we came from. When I was in business, people say, where are you from? I'm from Trinity County. What part? Weaverville. Listen, man, you ain't the mannequin. That's Photoshop Christianity. I'm just being real with you. It's like that all, you know, everybody's perfect, everybody, you know, and we all wear the same things that look like the clone zone. Like, just scrap that stuff. You know, I love 1 Samuel 17 when David wants to go after Goliath and he finally convinces the King Saul that he, you know, I don't, I don't actually, this is my own opinion. This is, doesn't, Bible doesn't say this. I don't think he actually convinces Saul that he can kill a giant. I just think he probably feels like, well, maybe the giant will eat David, and then he'll be like satisfied for a few days. <laughs> but you know the story. Saul says to him, all right, you want to go? Go. But put on my armor. You remember this? He puts on an armor, and what does he say? In different Bibles, he says different things. But he basically says, I can't wear this stuff. I haven't, I haven't fought in this stuff. I don't know how to fight in this stuff. You know, my Bible says he... He hadn't tested them. He, he puts it on. He's like, I, I'm not going to go out in the first battle and use this stuff that I've never used before. I'm good with this. I've been practicing with this. I'm going to get me five smooth stones. <laughs> Hit me. Kill me, that giant. I'm sure the king's like, oh, man, this is one zealous kid. You know, we're going to have a nice funeral for this kid. You know, it don't matter that your ways aren't conventional. If God has you practicing with rocks and you kill bears with them, you probably work on a giant. Do you, are you with me where I'm, where I'm heading? Narrow your focus. Find somebody who agree with you, who isn't insane, who has faith. I want this guy under the bridge, he's with me. I'm thinking of someone else who is wise, who loves God. Find someone who agree with you. Put on your armor, what God's given you to put on. It fits you. It looks good on you. You've tested it. You've fought with this before. And you know what? Don't be 
overly concerned about the fact that not everybody agrees with you. I, 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 do, believe, I do believe in having leaders in my life. So I, I want to be clear. I do think there's some balance here. Because I've seen people do crazy things when I preach a message like this. But I'm saying, don't be overly concerned that you got everybody in the city to agree with you. As a matter of fact, I'd be concerned if you got that good of a plan. Because God tends to work in a plan that can only work if he's involved. Do you know that Paul is the most brilliant man in the Bible, with re- except for Jesus, of course, with reference to Jewish law? He gets saved... He's teaching Jewish law. He's going to the harbor. He graduated Victorian. He is the most intelligent person walking the earth. He knows everything about the law. He even says it about himself. And God says, that's awesome. You'll be the apostle to the Gentiles. I don't know anything about Gentiles. I know. You'll need me. Peter's a fisherman. Doesn't know a thing about the Torah. God goes, you'll be the apostle over the Jews. <laughs> if your plan is really good, it's probably not God. Not unless you got it in a vision or something way. If your plan doesn't need God, I doubt it's God. Because God's plans always need God. Right? Like, you were all excited because you come out of the permit and you're like, I got this plan. And your friend goes, You got the right plan. Your friends are like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. You're like, You probably got the wrong plan. See, the armor bearer doesn't go, Great plan. He goes, I'm with you. (laughs) That's a stupid plan, but I'm with you. Stan, I want to pray for y'all. You're going to need prayer after this. That was only two, two pages. We got 17 to go. Oh no, I'd have you so messed up you wouldn't even know what way is up. I finished this message. How many of you need wisdom? No, okay, put your hand down. Wait, let me say it differently. I created only one answer. Like, you're in a situation right now where you need wisdom. <laughs> not <of> people. <laughs> this was a really good word I gave you. This is a good word. <laughs> Kim, we'll pray for you, double-minded people. <laughs> no, I'm going to pray, God. The wisdom that shouts in the streets would make its way into your bedroom. Make its way into your heart. And I just want to say this, so you know, I said it in the beginning, but remember, sometimes wisdom touches your heart, but doesn't make sense to your head. You can experience things that you can't understand. So sometimes God has given us wisdom, and you, you think, oh, I'm looking for wisdom, and God gives you wisdom, and your head goes, that can't be wisdom, that's a bad plan. But how many know God's plans are not man's plans. I'm not saying they never make sense. I'm just saying sometimes they don't make sense. And so, Lord, I just pray. Just why don't you put your hand on your head? 
I know you should say you guys look like prisoners of war. No, leave it. Leave it. I'm just praying. I want to pray for you. I just, I just pray. So sorry. This occurred to me. You should see this picture right now. It's, it's, if someone took a picture of this and faced and tweeted it, we would be in trouble. We should call the police. Like I got to arrest them all. Okay, let's stop with the jokes. Holy Spirit, we just pray. Release wisdom on people right now in Jesus' name. You're shouting in the streets. We pray that it make their way into their bedrooms and their secret places, into their hearts and into their minds. Almost everyone raised their hand that they needed wisdom for something, something they're facing. And um, Kathy and I, we're, we're raising our hands too. We need wisdom right now in some areas. And Father, we just pray. You said, you said you can ask for it and you would give it to us. And the only thing we have to do is be single-focused, single-minded. We have to have focused passion. And so we just do that right now, Lord. We just we say yes and amen to your plan. And God, you're a good father, so you're not trying to trick us. You're not trying to hurt us. You just want to be involved in our lives. Your plans are the kind of plans that build relationship with you. Thank you that you co-mission us. That you're always on the mission that you sent us on. And we bless, we bless your people. We bless the people watching by Bethel TV. We bless the people that will watch this later on. We pray that it have the same effect. And, and, and it would affect them with faith to change the world. Amen. Thank you very much.